Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that's deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. And as usual, don't forget, if you find yourself with questions as you're reading along the reading plan, or even as you hear us talking about uh, the different highlights that we, we give every week, we would love for you to send in those questions so we can spend some time answering them uh, and dialoguing about them. Uh, it's one of the things that we love to do. You can send in those questions to infogrove.church. Uh, Or you can even direct message the Facebook page of the Grove Church. And if you haven't done it already yet, like our Facebook page so you can stay in the loop with everything happening here at our church. If you guys notice, uh, we we might have a little little different. We might have a little bit more energy today because uh, I bought arms for the mics, which is is actually not a big deal. Like I was hoping you wouldn't say mics and you said, I bought arms. I bought arms. I have arms again, everybody. (laughs) No, but uh, yeah, no, it's just really cool. So now we're sitting up straight. Yeah, it, feels, it almost feels like we're professionals right now. Yeah, it's supposed to make you sound better. So can I put this on my resume now? Hopefully, <laughs> not on that the, I'm looking. But. On your end, you can hear that as well. Uh, but anyway, no. So today we're actually going to start off um, in Kings and Chronicles. This week we're really focusing on King Josiah, and so uh, as we're highlighting, I'm not really going to read a passage because it all re- it all reads very easy. It's just you know it's straight narrative. Um, I just kind of want to talk about who Josiah was, what his legacy is, and um, you know how it, what we can learn from it today, I suppose, as well. So Josiah was what I would call the last great king of Judah. Yep. And so if you remember, um, through all the kings of Israel and Judah, there's um, kind of three categories. There's they did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, which is basically you know your, your scummy kings, if you will. Um, and then there's, they did what was right in the sight of the Lord, um, but not in the ways of their father, David, which I believe is like Jehoshaphat and Uzziah, those type of Kings where, you know, they're, they're yeah, there they're, was another one in there. I can't remember. We talked about it a few weeks yeah, ago. Yeah. There's a few of them. So there's just a lot of Kings we've talked Azariah, about. Azariah, Amaziah, one of the two. And yeah. We've been, we've been going through a lot of Kings. That's for sure. Um, but anyways, we would call those good Kings, not great Kings, but good Kings. Um, and then there's the Kings like, uh, David, Hezekiah, uh, Asa, and then uh, there's a couple more in there. That I was I waiting know. to see if you throw Solomon in that category. I would, I would throw Solomon <laughs> in the good category, not the great category. He was mediocre. Yeah, mediocre. He was Crabtree esque. Uh, and then Crabtree. That's all. Shout out. <laughs> and then uh, um, that's a Seahawks joke. If in case you don't live in the Northwest, um, and then from a long time ago, it was a great game. Sorry. Anyway, rabbit trail. Uh, but yeah, so the Josiah is the last of what we would call the great kings, um, and it's kind of interesting because his life is not really set up um, to be what you would think of as a great king. So his father, uh, which I didn't write down his name in my notes, I believe it's Amon, but don't hold me to that, um, was murdered when he was eight years old by people in his court. And so Josiah, sorry, jo- when Josiah was eight years old, not when his father was eight years old. That would be brutal and weird. <laughs> it would be weird. Uh, and so Josiah at eight uh, became king at that point. Um, obviously when you're eight, you're not really king in the sense of like, you're not making How a ton of dare decisions. You? Yeah. So, uh, as he, I don't know why I'm so – I got sarcasm coming out of my ears okay, today. I'm dude, sorry. Banter is good. Um, but as <laughs> Josiah is aging, uh, it's it really marks uh, this period where on the one hand, the influence of Assyria is beginning to drop. Um, Assyria is beginning to lose their power. Eventually, um, they'll be overthrown by Babylon, which we're actually going to talk about later in this episode. Um, but when that happens, there's kind of this um, – 
uh, like a dead cat bounce, I guess you could call it, where uh, which is maybe a morbid way to put it, but uh, especially if you like cats, that's true. Like my wife, a dead uh, cat bounce. But Judah uh, has been consistently going down, and then the reign of Josiah kind of marks this final arc of repentance, yeah. turning back to God, um, independence from other nations before finally uh, they fall into captivity and exile. Um, and so it, it's it's really interesting as I was doing some research onto this. I had never thought of this before. Um, I read it in um, – I think it was the, the Zondervan Bible Dictionary. I'm trying to get better at quoting the books we use so people Smart. can get those as well. Um, but as I was uh, looking through and, and reading up on, uh, on Josiah um, – one of the passages that's really famous in the Bible is that uh, he's presented with the book of the law that it had apparently become lost. And so when we say the book of the law, we're talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, and Josiah is – his heart is turned towards the Lord as they're reading the book and he's realizing that we're not um, following in the ways of God. Um, if we rewind a little bit back, one of the I, – I would even say there's a difference between like the bad kings and then the evil kings. Uh, Manasseh – I would agree was an evil king. And one of the things I thought was interesting as I was reading is that it can be inferred um, that Manasseh was not just um, telling people to not follow the law. He may have actually been actively going out and destroying copies of the law. And so, because we don't know why the law was lost when we get to Josiah. It just states that it was. And then all of a sudden, we're kind of like, you know, we're, we're, we're into the middle of it. And so it's possible that, that happened. Again, not um, not for sure, but it's, it's likely, I would even say. Um, and so Josiah basically leads the country in repentance. They turn towards God. This, again, coincides with the, uh, the influence of the Assyrians going, uh, their, their influence beginning to wane. Uh, Judah is really back on track. And then tragically, uh, Josiah would die in battle. At the age of 39, um, essentially the pharaoh of Egypt, which I don't – Necho, I think was his name. I remember. Uh, sure. Let's, let's just go with that. Uh, he's going up. He's trying to aid Assyria. Josiah is trying to stop him. And so at Megiddo, uh, Josiah and the armies of Judah fight against the armies of Egypt. Josiah is killed in battle. Um, when we're reading through Jeremiah, we'll see a lot of that as well because that's one of the one of the many reasons that Jeremiah weeps. <laughs> it is called the weeping prophet. Um, but with – uh, the death of Josiah also kind of comes the death of uh, of Judah's repentance, mm-hmm. and from this, from Josiah onward, or from, I guess I should say, from the end of Josiah onward, uh, we're going to see a very, very quick decline for Judah, and then we're going to find out what happens to them a little bit this week because uh, it's going to be prophesied about. But then uh, in the coming weeks, we're really going to dive into uh, what happens to Judah. Yeah, I love it. Uh, we're also going to be reading, uh, con- continue to read the book of Acts. Uh, this is this is just a fun book to just to see the beginning of uh, what we now know is the early church uh, and early followers of Christ. Uh, and so I, we're going to be reading, I want to take a highlight out of Acts chapter 15. Uh, this is actually kind of a unique and interesting uh, piece of, of writing here in the book of Acts because there's actually this this sharp disagreement. I love the verbiage that the, the Bible uses here, but there's this sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas is uh, was an encouraging individual. He, was, uh, he just was a positive individual who would always encourage. And Paul, they had this uh, tension. So I'm going to read uh, just a few verses and then share kind of some context here of what was going on. Uh, but it says this in verse 37 of chapter 15. Uh, it says, Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark. Uh, but Paul insisted that they should not take. Now, 
stop for a second, where Barnabas is, Paul and Barnabas are wanting to go, more so Paul, he wants to go back to the churches he just, they just visited, back to the cities where they just visited to kind of revisit the the, the followers of Christ there and see how they're doing. Uh, and we see this in Paul's writing. He's, he's that encourager, director, exhorter, uh, you know, pastor of these people to make sure they continue to do and follow the, the way of Christ. Uh, and so we see this this tension where Paul wants to go back uh, but Barnabas was, is okay with that, and he, he just wants to bring John Mark, who is his cousin. And also the author of the book of Mark. Yes, that's true, too. I was getting there, you punk. Oh, sorry. Spoilers. Um, but so it says this. Let's pick it back up in verse 38. It says, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work regarding the mission that they were on. Uh, it said that they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyrus. But Paul chose Silas in verse 40 and departed after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. And he traveled, this is Paul and Silas, through Syria and Cilicia. Uh, yeah, that's right, and strengthening the churches. Uh, and it's interesting because, like, as I've already said, John Mark, who is also the author of Mark, you jerk. Um, My bad. Uh, is Barnabas's cousin. We see in Acts 13, 13 is what Paul was referring to where John Mark left them. Uh, in essence, there's just a disagreement. John Mark did not agree with Paul. Uh, where Paul's chief concern, and even as you can remember earlier on in the book of Acts, Paul really felt called to the Gentiles. He really felt called to reach uh, a people group um, that didn't really have any access to quote unquote Christ because of the fact that they weren't of, of Jewish descent. Uh, and so Mark just had a disagreement with them. Uh, he was concerned there's potential. This is some somewhat conjecture because there's not real clear, a clear understanding of why the disagreement existed. We just know that it did. And, and looking through church history and things like this, we see that there might be uh, a little bit of the concern that John Mark had in the effect uh, of this Christian mission to the Gentiles and the effect it would have in the Jewish uh, Jewish world and church. Um, and so he may not have wanted to have any part of it. And so Paul, in essence, felt um, unsupported. He felt almost like backhanded or slapped or betrayed a little bit. Uh, because you got to remember, Paul suffered a lot of persecution from Jewish, from Jewish, the Jewish nation or the Jewish culture, anyways, as well as Jewish culture. Once he started shifting to uh, reaching a Gentile people group, uh, John Mark's uh, departure could also have stirred up the Judaizers in the church uh, to act out in light of this mission Paul was on and interested in, and so we see this this rift between Barnabas, who's called the you know, son of encouragement. Uh, with his cousin, wanting to bring his cousin back into the fold as they were going to go back and revisit these churches. Uh, but Paul didn't want someone who he didn't feel 100% supported by. Paul didn't feel like John Mark was really uh, on mission or in alignment with what Paul and what Paul felt God was calling him to do and to be. Uh, and so that because of this disagreement, there's this split. Paul chooses Silas, Barnabas takes John Mark, and they go their separate ways. Uh, and and the thing that is is so unique about this is like disagreements happen even in church world, but God in His sovereignty is so and so wise and so good that He actually now is having two different groups of missionaries, so to speak, that are now propelling the gospel and continue to reach more people. Uh, and so it's fun to see even in a disagreement that God still His plans prevail. I mean, we read it in Proverbs sure. that many are plans that a man makes, but God's will prevails. Um, and so we find that there's just this rift, but to bring it back full circle for a second, we see in many of Paul's writing, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, even in Timothy and Colossians, and even in Philemon, I believe it's the verse 24, 
Paul writes in cordial terms regarding both Barnabas and John Mark. So there is a reconciliation in some respects where there's not this, I hate you, we're never going to talk again. Uh, But it really is this, we're going different ways because we're disagreeing in the method and the direction, but God's purposes are still prevailing and we can believe and pray and support one another in the furthering of God's mission and gospel. So such a fun tension moment in the scriptures. Yeah, and as we're we're talking about it, I think it also brings to mind Um, the verses that we read last week in second Corinthians. And I can't help but wonder if, uh, if Paul has, uh, if Paul has that in mind as he's writing second Corinthians, when he's talking about, you know, forgiving those, uh, who have, I mean, for lack of a better term, I guess, forgiving those who have messed up. Yeah. Um, and cause this happens about five or six years before Paul writes, uh, the letter to the to the Corinthians. I almost said the letter to the Second Corinthians, but that's not. Well, there's multiple Corinthians. There's yeah, I guess there's there's many Corinthians. Um, but when Paul writes that letter, um, it's a little bit further down the road, and I, I would think that the reconciliation at this point has happened, and maybe Paul's perspective has also yeah, shifted sure. a little bit. Um, but anyways, yeah, I thought th- that's a, yeah, it's a great uh, great passage to bring up um, as we continue to move on. Uh, we're also this week we're reading two. Um, minor prophets, uh, Habakkuk and, Ze- and Zephaniah. Um, and we're also starting um, one of the major prophets, which is Jeremiah. Jeremiah. So we've got we've got a lot of prophets this week. Um, and, to- and it's not going to change moving forward. Yeah. There's a lot of prophets left. Oh. And we're going to hit them before the end yeah. of the year. We're in October, people. This is going to be rad. Uh, so we're actually going to kick into Habakkuk, which is one of my, um, I've said this about a few of the minor prophets, but I just have this, I have this real, um, I have this real love of minor prophets that maybe don't get talked about um, enough in my head. So like Hosea would be one of them, which I think is a great story. Um, and Habakkuk would be another one. Um, Habakkuk is kind of, um, it's, it's really a rehashing of the book of Job. Rehashing is the wrong word, um, but it tackles a lot of the same themes of the book of Job. So if you remember, um, that was, I believe, in like January, February that we were talking to. It was ago. a long time ago. Um, and I think even then I teased that we would eventually get to Habakkuk and tackle some of the same questions. But um, the main question in the book of Job is, why does God allow painful things to happen uh, to those who serve him? Um and the, this, the book of Habakkuk actually tackles the same question, although in a very different way, and God's tone is also very different. Um, but Habakkuk and Job both feature men who are confused about how God has chosen to allow things to happen, um, and yet God takes the time to answer them and to uh, kind of give them, an, not necessarily an explanation, but I suppose just help them to see through the right perspective. And so what I love about Habakkuk is um, I'm just going to read this exchange because I think it's actually really funny when you know what's going on. Uh, but in Habakkuk chapter one, starting in verse two, it says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice goes ne- never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And so here's what's happening right there, right? Habakkuk's like, God, how long 
do I have to look at the people of Judah, the people that I live with committing uh, destruction and they're being evil and they're turning away from you? Like, how long does this have to happen? And then God actually answers Habakkuk and he says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And my favorite story about this verse, by the way, total side note, is I've seen it on coffee cups. <laughs> and so it's to- <laughs> I've like, I've had to be like, I don't know if I've ever seen it on a coffee really? cup. Really? Oh, That's dude, hilarious. I've seen it on posters and coffee cups where it's like, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And it's just that line, which, you know, when you take it out of it's context, cute. Is, it's, it's cute. Yeah, it's a great line. Uh, but it's moving forward, off of scripture. Oh, yeah. But moving forward in uh, verse six, it says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome and justice... Uh, their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like eagles, swift to devour. They have come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and the ru- at rulers they laugh. They pile. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up the earth and take it. Then they sweep like the wind, and they go on guilty men whose own might is their God. You just ruined that one verse for everybody who has it on their coffee. Mug. Okay. Here's the deal. I normally I'm pretty, um, I'm, I'm a cynical guy, I suppose you could say. And so like most coffee cup verses, I'm, I like destroy, I not destroying. I like, uh, no, you like destroying. Let's just I, be I like poking fun at them. This one should not be a coffee cup verse because literally <laughs> the next chapter is like, behold, I am doing a work that you would not believe. I'm sending this horrible murderous nation to Judah to pillage and take them into captivity is literally God's answer to Habakkuk. Um, and I, I'm not going to just read the whole book, but the whole book kind of reads is like Habakkuk is saying like, you know, God, how long will you allow this to happen? And then God's like, Habakkuk, don't worry. Chill. I'm sending in the Babylonians. They're going to destroy everything. You're all going to go into captivity. You're good. It's going to be okay. And then Habakkuk's like, no, wait, God, why? And then he, he completely flips the script for the whole rest of the book. And Habakkuk's oh, like, wait, no, that's not what I meant, God. I meant like, you know, Josiah, he was awesome. Can we get that going again? And God's like, no, Babylonians, they're coming. And Your so, time is up. Um, and so really that's kind of – that's what the book of Habakkuk is about. Um, but the, the, the thing I wanted to say is I would just encourage – just read the book. It's a really good book. It's really short. Um, one of the last things I'll say to take notice of is how uh, differently – God treats Habakkuk than the way he treats Job. Um, and not that either one is right, because obviously God deals with all of us differently. God knows how we each need to be uh, talked to. But with Job, you know, Job's like, um, God, why are you allowing this to happen? And then God's like, oh, I'm sorry, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And Job's like, no, I mean, just like, no, no, Job, where were you when uh, when I when I created the world and I made everything? You know, see the horse over there? When I when I made that, where were you when I was doing And Job's just like the whole time just getting smaller and smaller. And for four chapters, God is just like, just going off in really, po- really poetic ways. Um, and then- <laughs> <laughs> That's, So if you want to go off on somebody, just be poetic about it. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, but then in Habakkuk, Habakkuk is basically like, well, God, why are you doing this? And God is just lovingly saying like, hey, here's why this is happening. One day it's going to get better, all these different things. So there's the tone of the books are very different. Um, but yeah, I love the book of Habakkuk. It's a short book, um, but it's, it kind of offers a different perspective on the same question that Job is answering, which is, you know, God allows painful things to happen uh, to his people. I suppose in Job, he's allowing it to happen to someone who is not openly in rebellion to him, whereas in Habakkuk, he is. Um, but both offer, both offer 
Um, maybe not the answers we want to hear, but different answers as to why God allows painful things to happen. Yeah. And I love that it, even in, in, in those two comparisons and contrasting books, there is, there, there is no definitive, this is how God operates. God operates the way God operates because God operates the way God operates. And, and so I just, it's, we're not always going to like the answers, but at the end of the day, we can always trust his plans to prevail, that his will unfolds as he deems it and desires it to be. Uh, this week, we literally are reading one chapter in the book of Second Corinthians, and that's chapter five. Uh, and it's, the way that I've read it in, in my Bible, there's two different sections to it. And so I just want to talk very briefly about these two sections. Um, the first section is has this heading where it's uh, our earthly tent or our, our heaven. No, it's our heavenly dwelling. Uh, and it just talks about the reality that that we don't live for this earth uh, to be our final place of, of residency. We, it's, it's, I mean, I've heard it said this way many times when I was a child or a youth, uh, that earth is not our final destination. And uh, the challenge I- I of it is this is where we even read the passage. And in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is actually some very quotable verses. Uh, but the whole idea of we walk by faith, not by sight. Like the, the point of that verse in the context of scripture is literally we're not living uh, in, in light of what we see in front of us, we're living in faith of what's to come. And it's this idea that you and I can walk in the face of anything. We have courage, we have hope, we have joy, et cetera, because of our, our heavenly dwelling, because of where God has invited us and is going. I mean, even as we talked about in this podcast through John, uh, going to, to heaven, to, to, to build a place for you, to prepare a place for us. Um, that's the, that's the, the why we walk by faith and not by sight. No matter what happens in the world around us, we walk by faith and not by sight because this is not our final dwelling. Uh, and then it continues on in the second half of chapter five, and it talks about this idea of the ministry of reconciliation. And I love that that Paul writes this way because he's he's oftentimes trying to remind you and I why um, the gospel is so important. Why do we do what we do? Why do we live the way we live? And what's our purpose in living that way? Uh, and so not only do we live with our, the heavenly in mind, but we also understand that the ministry of reconciliation, which is the next heading, is our now mission. It's now our call. This is why I can say to anybody following Christ, you are a minister because God has called you to reconcile and be a chief messenger of this reconciliation between God and man. Uh, we get to carry forth this understanding of, of Christ in us that we are created in the image of God. He has a heartbeat for humanity. And we now get to offer this message of reconciliation between a heavenly father and a people who are far from him. And it continues on. It talks about like, we don't view everyone as we once did from an earthly perspective in the flesh, even as we did that with Jesus. And now he's the son of God. We see him differently. It means we change the way we see people. I mean, it's the message of hope for the world that we live in. And we view the, the world and the people around us as the people, as God, God's, desire to to be reconciled to himself. And so Second Corinthians 5 will, will create this um, really unique platform and message for you and I to wrestle with, understanding we don't live according to now. We don't live according to, I mean, I was just reading personally in Jeremiah. This is one of the books that I'm studying. So I'm actually excited we're jumping into Jeremiah today or this week. Um, but it's just this tension of we're always worshiping something and when we worship something other than God, it actually is a competition and it weakens our ability to understand God's fullness. And so I love that Paul's challenging us to be reminded of where and what and why uh, of eternity and how does that play out in every day for us today. Yeah, no, that's a great reminder. Um, I think it's, it's interesting that we're only in the one chapter in Second Corinthians this week, but it's a, it's a great 
It's a great chapter. It's because it's, it's such a great, a great chapter. We don't need to read any other Second Corinthians. We don't need. We don't need any other. I think that's why. <laughs> uh, but moving forward, like I said, we're starting two uh, minor prophets this week, and so we started uh, Habakkuk, but we're also going to be talking about Zephaniah. Um, some really interesting things about Zephaniah, um, and this is one of those things I didn't know until I was actually looking into it, but he was most likely uh, the great-grandson of King Hezekiah, which huh, – um, I didn't even know that. So there you go. Uh, it, I say most likely – It makes sense though because you know more about the Bible than I do. Well, so. that's not true. But uh, it's uh, it says most likely – I say most likely uh, because all it says is that he's descended from Hezekiah, um, but at the same time – the book kind of makes a big deal about listing his genealogy. And so it doesn't make sense that like, Hey, by the way, his great, great grandfather was some guy named Hezekiah. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's awesome, man. So most likely it's referring to the Hezekiah. Um, and if you remember him, he is uh, one of the great Kings of Judah. Um, he was around during the, uh, uh, during the prophetic ministry of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. So anyways, all this is going on. He's uh, the great, great grandson of King Hezekiah. And then much like Joel, uh, he's actually, and a few of the other minor prophets, uh, he's very concerned with the coming day of the Lord. Um, this is language. I shouldn't say minor prophets. Uh, I think Isaiah says a lot about the day of the Lord as well. Um, but it's this it's this language that is in um, a lot of the prophetic books, and, and it, it refers to two events. Um, the first event of the day of the Lord is what we would call just kind of the judgment of um, of Israel and Judah. Uh, they're living in rebellion against God. God has given them time and chance after chance to, to repent and turn back to him. They don't. And so there is this coming day of judgment from God um, that a lot of the prophets, particularly the ones who are later on, uh, are going to be talking about. Um, but there's also a future day of the Lord, which um, I don't want to say every because I, I don't have that off the top of my head, but I believe at least in most of the times when the day of the Lord is mentioned as, as a judgment day, there's also mentioned this future um, reconciliation of God and his people. And so it's not just this language of God's wrath, God's wrath, God's wrath, but it's also um, God's wrath being poured out on sin, but there is a coming reconciliation, there is coming grace, there is coming mercy. Um, and so you'll see a lot of that with Zephaniah. Um, Zephaniah prophesied during the reign of King Josiah. And so as you're reading through the book, um, kind of think through the lens of Zephaniah is excited about what he's seeing with King Josiah. King Josiah is turning um, the people's hearts back towards God. He's really making it not just a, um, I guess, in words only effort, but Josiah really is leading the people back towards the Lord. And Zephaniah is here to to help. He's there to like tell the people like, this is the coming day of the Lord, the coming judgment, repent, turn away keep following God. And that's what a lot of his book reads like. Um, and I actually wanted to, the passage I want to pick out and read today is again, um, it's kind of just the end of the book. And I think it's just this really encouraging after um, you read through a lot of the coming punishment and judgment that will be, that will be arriving. Um, Zephaniah ends on a really optimistic note. And it says, it says this, uh, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst, which also I love that language. The King of Israel, he's not talking about Josiah or anyone else. He's talking about the Lord is your King. Yep. Uh, you shall never again fear evil. For that day it will be said in Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet 
you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn to the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, when I gather you together, for you will make, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. And I think it's just, it's just, um, so often with the prophets, and I think particularly for people who aren't Christians, uh, when they just like what they know about the prophets is all like, woe to you, O Israel. <laughs> That's, you know, that, that kind of, that kind of message. Um, but even when God is expressing his wrath, he is also expressing his coming grace, his coming mercy. And those are just some beautiful verses mm-hmm. about the, um, the coming grace that God would extend, um, not just to the people of Israel, but really to, to all the earth as well. Yeah, and I love, I mean, even as, as Evan hit it for a second, like the Lord is in your midst. There's a time coming where everything that concerns us, everything that bothers us, everything that we see, God comes in and writes. And I just love that that picture at the end of Zephaniah, like he's, he's mighty to save. I'm coming in your midst. I will take care of everything. Everything that you've seen awry, I'm taking care of. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a great picture. Um, we're jumping into what we would then call the major prophets. Uh, the one prophet, Jeremiah, uh, who as Evan alluded already, it was referred to as a weeping prophet. What a baby. Um, well, and it's, <laughs> he, he doesn't cry a lot, but he cries a lot more than all the other prophets. Uh, because he just sees injustice or he, he gets the persecution or there's just a lot in this, in this incredible book that, um, again, prof, the prophetic books are hard to read because it's, it's easy to lose focus when reading, uh, and figure and remember who is speaking and what moments. And cause well, they're also moments, very poetic and filled with metaphor and we don't speak that way today. Right. And so it's, it's, it's hard language to keep up with, but there are some pretty incredible books and there are some in pretty they are some pretty incredible uh pieces to the conversation in the scripture and so um as we as we jump into jeremiah i just want to kind of give you a brief introduction as best i can uh and then uh refer to the first chapter uh the first 10 verses about jeremiah's call uh but a couple things to note um he was called to be prophet 627 bc not that that means much to many of us because we don't really remember what time this was happening uh, but it was in the Bible, so I figured I'd tell you uh, the history of it. So served for 40 years as a prophet. Uh, he was a youth when he was called. Uh, he became a priest, lived in, a, in an area allotted to the priestly tribes uh, in a tri- the priestly tribe in the tribe of Benjamin. There's a small, it was, in essence, he was a small town prophet from a small tribe is what he did. Uh, that's where he came from. Uh, his messages of repentance delivered often in the temple, temple were not well received, which is why he wept, which is why he in essence was... Uh, an individual who was supposed to speak uh, whatever God told him to, and no one ever listened to him. He and so he, he much like Isaiah, <laughs> much yes, much like, but even more so than Isaiah. There was some response in Isaiah's in Isaiah's time. Uh, I love this little stat that they said um, in the in the study Bible I was reading. It says he was a faithful preacher, but he only had two recorded converts: Baruch, which is his scribe, uh, and then a guy named Ebed Meluk which was an Ethiopian eunuch. Those are the only two recorded people who responded to his, his mess to Jeremiah's message. Uh, which when you, when you put it that way. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so in essence, his, like his tenure as a prophet for God to the Israelite nation was a very, very difficult one. And as you read the, 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 the book of Jeremiah, you will see different things that God asked him to do. 
one of the things he got asked him to do is like, don't get married. So he never got married. He was a single bachelor for his entire life. Um, but he just had such a hard go in even trying to represent and even trying to have God's people return uh, and repent. And God, in essence, and I'll get to this in a minute, God, in essence, told him, here's what's going to happen. You're going to tear down. You're going to uproot. You're going to, then you're going to plant and then you're going to sow. Um, and and it, again, it's just an incredible, incredible faithfulness of Jeremiah. Uh, he does start preaching, or I guess preaching is a way to say it, but he was a prophet towards the end of Josiah's reign. Uh, so you also will see as even as, <clears throat> excuse me, Evan was talking with, with Zephaniah, there are some overlaps of these prophets. It's not like here's a prophet, he's dead, now it's moving on to the next. There are overlaps. Right. Um, and so at the end of Josiah's reign, right before the Assyrians took over, um, and all of the his, the history plays out as we'll get into and as we've gotten into uh, is when Jeremiah was the prophet for the Israelite nation. Uh, in Jeremiah 1, 1 through 10, again, this is just when Jeremiah is called. Uh, and I think it's important to recognize this is God's call in Jeremiah's life. So the message is going to align everything Jeremiah speaks from this uh, as a prophet aligns with God's call in his life. And so here's what it says. It says, Jeremiah Chapter one, it says the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests living in Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. Again, small town, small tribe. Also, bravo on pronouncing all of that correctly. Got you, bro. Uh, That's what my degree on my wall uh, shows that I can say. What? What? Big words. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. See, I second guess myself. Uh, It also came through the day of Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim. Josiah, king of Judah, until the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me. This is Jeremiah speaking now. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, this verse is often referred to. These next few verses are often referred to baby dedications or like, hey, before God formed you in the womb, he knew you. Uh, and it's true. None of that's not true, but this is just in the context and understanding. These are the words to Jeremiah, a very young man at this point. And then it, he it says this in verse six, but I protested, Oh no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. Then the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you to do not be afraid of anyone for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. Then you will reach out then he Lord, reached out his hand, touched my mouth, and told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. See, I have appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and demolish, and to build and to plant. It continues on a little bit, but that last verse, I want you to, to understand, this is God's call of what Jeremiah will be doing as a, as a mouthpiece for the Lord. He will uproot and tear down, destroy and demolish. Then there will be a time to build and to plant. That's part of this. And we're going to see this play out in the book of Jeremiah. We're going to see this play out from the very beginning. There's going to be, I think, 30 chapters of just judgment and coming wrath and tearing down and ripping apart and demolishing. And weeping. And weeping. Um, Yes. And there's going to be, and God's going to have Jeremiah do some crazy things for the simple point of making a point. That's what it is. I mean, he wants him to, he he puts himself in a a stock or a, a stock or whatever it's called. I can't remember now off the top of my head. Uh, but he puts himself and locks himself up for the sole purpose of demonstrating to God's people the coming wrath and judgment that's happening. And there's going to be prophets, quote unquote, that don't agree with Jeremiah because they want people to be encouraged. So they go against the word of Jeremiah and Jeremiah calls him out. It's, it's going to be an incredible book. I'm looking forward to reading it with you. Um, 
but it's just a reminder. Like Jeremiah's call as a prophet, again, like Isaiah, is not a very easy one. It's pretty difficult, but his faithfulness in midst of everything is what is actually the beauty at the end of the story. So be yeah. ready for that. And I think it's really interesting as you're reading through the uh, that passage, just how similar and also the I guess the similarities and the differences between the call of Jeremiah and the call of Isaiah. Yeah. Because um, both of them see this vision of the Lord um, really in glory. Um, and I love that they both end with their mouths being touched. Um, and then with, mm-hmm. uh, with Isaiah, it's with the burning the coal, coal yeah. and it's one of the angels. With Jeremiah, it's the Lord himself actually touching uh, the mouth of Jeremiah and saying, I filled you with my words. But I think what, what I love the most, and it, it really does get at their, their personality differences, is um, in the call of Isaiah – God just stands and says, you know, who will go for us? Who will go out and do what I have? And Isaiah's like, send me, I'm here. I got you. And then uh, God does the same thing. And Jeremiah's like, oh no, no, Lord, I am, I'm not, I can't find the verse. I'm only a youth, verse six. Since, yeah, since I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. And so um, both of them do incredible ministry. Both of them are, uh, when you read through their, through their books, some of the most beautiful verses in the Bible are the, are the words that the Lord gave them to say. Um, it is also just a helpful reminder that um, God uses all kinds of different people, uh, not just, there's not just one template of the people that God uses. Um, but with that, that's going to go ahead and wrap it up for another episode of Let's Read the Bible. Uh, just a quick reminder that we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources that we offer um, at grove.church, which is our website. Also, uh, do us a favor and leave a five-star review on whatever uh, device or app you're listening on. It just helps grow the audience, uh, get more people involved in this community, getting more people sending in questions so that we can uh, we can all read the Bible together, yeah. which I think is a beautiful thing. Let's do it. So with that being said, we will see you all next week.